0: I speak to you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. (laughs) Several years ago, a friend of mine and her husband adopted a baby. This was a long-awaited, desperately wanted child. My friend's social media posts in the week following her son's birth were magnificent to behold. Seeing pictures of her holding him, reading about the hours spent rocking, feeding, and soothing, all of this was incredibly heartwarming. Nothing, though, nothing compared with the moment when my friend announced that she and her spouse were now officially their baby's parents. Ten days, you see, had to pass before they could be sure that the boy would be their son. Ten days. And then finally, finally, to hear that this child was truly theirs. At last, they could relax and enjoy the experiences most new parents take for granted. Suddenly, suddenly, my friend said, suddenly everything changed and a spirit of unmitigated joy flooded the household. Even their infant son, it seemed, noticed the difference. Following his official adoption, he became less fretful, his mother said. He was easier to settle, took his bottle better, and slept for longer periods of time. It was as if he had been transformed somehow by having it declared who and whose he was. Today is the Feast of Pentecost, that day in the church year when we are reminded who and whose we are. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, Paul writes in the epistle lesson assigned for this day. But you have received a spirit of adoption. You have received a spirit of adoption. That's right, you and I, like Christ's first followers, are the adopted children of God, the adopted, much-wanted children of God, and Pentecost makes it official. In the words of the baptismal liturgy, we will celebrate with these children in just a few minutes, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism and marked as Christ's own forever. This is an adoption that changes everything. Everything. Witness this morning's reading from the book of Acts, which tells the story of the first Pentecost. Jesus' disciples are all hanging out together after the ascension when all of a sudden a holy hurricane blows through town and turns the whole place upside down. Tongues of fire rest on each of the disciples, and they begin speaking in languages they had never been taught back at good old Nazareth High. The disciples become apostles. People from throughout Jerusalem hear the good news proclaimed in their native tongues, and the church is born. I'm always struck by what a pivotal moment this is in the lives of Jesus' first followers. Before Pentecost, you see, before Pentecost, there has always been for them the possibility of turning back, of going back to their hometowns and getting back on their father's fishing boats, of settling down with some nice girl, starting a family, and resuming an ordinary life, of forgetting Jesus' strange and difficult teachings and retreating instead to that which is comfortable and familiar. But then the Holy Spirit blows in. The Holy Spirit blows in and everything changes. Those who have been wavering in their commitment are now swept up in a movement so powerful they cannot resist it. They can no longer deny to whom it is that they belong. Not only that, but the community as a whole is transformed The many languages spoken by the people on that first Pentecost, the many languages that have previously prevented them from understanding one another, suddenly these are no longer an obstacle. The diversity that has always, always threatened the peace of Jerusalem, a barrier to people getting along, suddenly this diversity seems like a gift to be embraced rather than a threat to be eliminated. Now, of course, there are skeptics on that first Pentecost. There always are standing just to the side of all the action on the day of Pentecost. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us this, but we can use our imaginations. Standing on the side of all the action on the day of Pentecost is undoubtedly some important person, some ancient Palestinian influencer known for his good common sense. This man sees his younger son looking at one of the apostles with admiration, so he leans over and whispers in his ear, Hey, wait a minute, buddy. I told you about that, Matthias. Don't hang out with people like him. You come on home now. We've got chores to do before supper. There are surely skeptics whose response to the first Pentecost is simply to head home and go on with business as usual. Yes, but there are also those who stay. There are also those who stay, 3,000 of them, in fact. Luke tells us about them later on in the second chapter of Acts from which our first reading is drawn this morning. Luke tells us that on that first Pentecost, there are 3,000 people who receive the Holy Spirit and are baptized and marked as Christ's own forever. Three thousand people whose worlds are turned upside down by their adoption as God's children. Three thousand people whose lives are changed irrevocably. No longer can these individuals pretend that those who look different from them and speak another language are anything but their own brothers and sisters. No longer can these individuals live only for themselves, concerned merely for their own comfort, safety, and advancement. Rather, these newly baptized are to lead lives of service and self-sacrifice, turning their swords into plowshares and embracing Old enemies as friends as a result of this as a result of all this many in the crowd think that these Jesus freaks are just that freakish a little off some they suppose have been doing some day drinking and are now intoxicated Their adoption by the Spirit makes them so strange, so different, you see, that people don't know quite what to make of them. Which raises an interesting question. What do people make of us? What do people make of us? How do others view us Latter-day Christians on this Pentecost 2022, the feast on which we celebrate the relentless and undeterred manifestation of life and love, even in this incredibly difficult time during which many of us have witnessed more death and hate? than we ever imagined possible. What do other people make of us during this time? Do they see us, do they see in us communities and individuals who have been so radically changed by an encounter with God that we too appear by societal norms to be a little off, a little crazy? Do they see in us people who, in our ever more vengeful and polarized society, pursue peace and understanding, sometimes ill-advisedly? Do they see in us people who have been set on fire by the Spirit to live lives of hope and reconciliation, even against a backdrop of growing isolation and despair? Is this what others see when they look at us? These are questions of critical importance for, as Paul writes in his letter to the Romans, quote, the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. The creation waits with eager longing, in other words, for you and me to show exactly who and whose we are. People who aren't afraid to be different. People who actually view being different as part of our vocation, our calling. People who, in a culture that accepts ever-increasing levels of violence, racism, and oppression, continue nonetheless to seek to live out our baptismal vows to strive for justice, freedom, and peace. People who, when others ignore or exploit the weak, the poor, the immigrant, or the stranger, speak out and say, This is wrong. I read a story last week, maybe you saw it too, about a lonely sixth grade boy named Brody, who after being bullied most of this past school year, felt devastated when only two of his classmates would sign his yearbook. Brody's mother posted in a parent's group about her son's sadness hoping for even just a tiny bit of support. What happened next astonished her. The following day, a group of older kids from the school filed into Brody's classroom to autograph his yearbook. At first, it was only a handful, but over time, more and more came. Seniors, juniors, sophomores, first-year students. On and on it went until Brody's book was completely filled. The kids wrote encouraging notes, some even including their phone numbers, so that they could get in touch over the summer. It just swept through the school, one amazed student noted of this mass expression of compassion and goodwill. Now, I don't know if any of the youth involved in this movement knew what Big Feast Day was coming up on the church calendar this week. My guess is not. I don't know, it. it doesn't really matter. What I do know is this. There was Pentecost in what those students did. There was Pentecost in what those students did. There was a spirit of neighbor love that blew through the school as teens, fluent in the language of what is cool, what is popular, what is trending, suddenly spoke so that someone who embodied none of these things could finally hear some words of welcome and acceptance. There was a spirit of adoption as these kids bucked social norms, welcoming this outsider into their fold, embracing where others had shunned. And yes, there was a spirit of change and transformation for all involved, including Brody's mother, who reflected, quote, it makes me feel like there is still some hope, not just for Brady, Brody, but for humanity. There was a spirit. There was a spirit of relentless love against all odds, There was a spirit. May that spirit be yours and mine as well this day, even as we are the spirits, marked as Christ's own forever. Amen.